thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Pastor Rick, for praying. Wow, we had it. Thanks, Daniel. And welcome home from college, buddy. We're glad you're here. We had an incredible first service this morning, and I am looking for more of the same today. And um, it was so good just in the first service to have our Timber Ridge Ministries beginning all over again and to see the children that were there and uh, parents that we haven't seen in a while because, you know, they couldn't, you know, they needed something for their children. And so they were under the big tent. If you're not in the shade, back up into the shade. There's plenty of shade, good shade today. And I will tell you something else. We don't get many perfect days in Michigan. This is a perfect day. Can you say amen? This is just phenomenal. I'm so grateful for it. Well, there was something about Jesus that absolutely transcended religious barriers completely. There's something about Christ, his life, his teaching, his ministry, that it drew religious people, it drew pagan people, it drew folks who really didn't know who Jesus was or what he was all about at all. You know, he drew centurions, he drew Samaritans to himself, and that sometimes aggravated the religious folks. And as I've thought about that, today Jesus is still the kind of person that many, many people want to follow. There are a lot of people asking questions about Jesus. They may be confused by our lives, my life, some of the decisions that we make sometimes. But the more they read about Jesus and they learn about Jesus, and the more they hear about Jesus from you, then the more curious it makes people about Christ. You see, what they knew in Jesus' day and what we know today, that if sin is going to be forgiven, that it's only going to be forgiven through what Christ has done for us at Calvary. It's only going to be forgiven because of how God sent his son into this world, not only to love us, but to save us from our sin. And if we want the hope, if we want the best hope in the world, then we'll come to know Jesus Christ. Because it is hope in Jesus that gives us hope beyond the grave. Last week, we celebrated the homecoming of our brother in Christ, Rocky, as he went home to be with the Lord, and we had his funeral here at the church. But one thing we know, Rocky is not dead. He is alive with the Lord. And today, we remember not any of Rocky's failings or Rocky's sins or anything like that. We remember the amazing grace that God did in Rocky's life that he shared with everybody. He told people about what he was like before he was saved, what he was like since he's been a Christian. He told them why he came to Jesus. And I will always be grateful for my friendship with Rocky. But it's also, if you want the best knowledge, and school has started back, students are going to college and going to university to cram hard and study for exams. At least that's what we as parents are hope that they're going to do, is go hard, go and study hard and cram for exams. But they're going back to college because they want to grow in knowledge and they want to grow in skills sets, but if you want the best knowledge in the world, you'll come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But you know, knowing Jesus, what does that mean to know Jesus? I mean, we've never seen him. You know, it's one of the things I talked about in Rocky's funeral. Rocky had never seen Jesus. I've never seen Jesus, but now Rocky is with Jesus. He knows more about Jesus than I could ever hope to know until I go to heaven. But what does it mean to know Jesus in this life? It means to love him. It means to obey him. It means to proclaim him, share his faith, share what he's taught us with others. It means to trust him. It means to obey his word even when we don't understand his word. When my children were munchkins, one of the things that I tried to drill into them that Becky and I both did was we love you and we're never going to tell you to do anything just arbitrarily. We're never going to tell you to do anything because, you know, we don't like you or we're trying to punish you. What we want you to do is learn to obey us before you understand us because we're going to tell you a lot of things to do that you won't necessarily understand, but for your safety, for your well-being, for your health, you need to obey us in this. And I often tell people this as they become followers of Jesus and they want to grow in knowing God is you don't have to understand all of God's word to obey him. And there's a lot of things about God's word we still don't understand, but as we learn to trust him and obey him, somehow or another, God blesses our life and shines upon us with his favor. Sometimes to trust him means, it sur means I have to surrender my ego to Christ. And I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I have to struggle with my ego. How many of you ever think you have a better idea? How many of you, sometimes you'll read something in God's Word and you'll go, well, what about this? I'm telling you, as a pastor for over 40 years, 
I have had more whatabouts and what ifs, everything from abusive husbands, abusive parents. I've had everything from if I give, I'm going to be poor. I won't be able to pay my bills. Sometimes you just have to trust God even though you don't understand him because our egos always makes us want to think we know better. When Becky and I built our first house, she would come up with ideas that I just, I didn't like. And I would tell her, I said, I don't like these ideas. And she said, if you will trust me, it's going to look good. And I said, well, honey, I can't see it. And she kept saying, if you will trust me, it will look good. So one day I'm talking to my pastor about this and I'm sharing with him. He goes, Dennis, your wife has a great artistic eye. She's a good designer. How are you at art? How are you at designing? And I went, not very good. He says, trust her. He says, and besides, you can always change it. And so one day during the construction of our house, something wasn't quite right, and Becky wanted it done right, and the painter called me, and he said, listen, I've already put nine coats of paint on this wall, and your wife is still not pleased. I said, do what she says. He says, that's nine coats. I said, I don't care. Do what she says. I trust her. And inside, I'm like, oh, no, how much is this going to cost me, you know? He got it right to Becky's specification, and it was beautiful. It turned out just the way she thought it would turn out. And I've learned to trust her in areas that I'm no good at. You see, surrendering my ego means I trust God. I trust his love. I trust his grace. I trust his plan for my life. And I did, when I depend upon him, then I'm also depending upon him, not only for this present life on earth, but I'm depending upon Christ for all of eternity. And boy, that changes the perspective because we're not talking about 83 years like Rocky lived. We're talking about eternity. I love that line in the amazing grace where it says, when we've been with him 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, We've only just begun. With me this morning, and let's go to the word of the Lord. We stand out of respect for the word of the Lord. If you're watching at home, just stand up with us today. And uh, the words are the, the scriptures in your outline. If you haven't downloaded the app yet, like Pastor Corey suggested, go to the app store at um, Apple and Woodland Church Mobile, or you can go to the Google store. Let's look at this. When I think of all of this, now what is he thinking about? What he's referring to is the matchless love of Jesus Christ, how God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. That's what's on his mind, the salvific work of God. He's saying, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees. In other words, when I think of Jesus, when I think of what Jesus has done for me, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. Now, that's everyone as well as the trees and the planet and everything else. That's every tribe, that's every nation, that's every tongue. God loves everybody. When I think of all this, I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. And I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Say that with me. And keep you strong strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully, and then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more, the theme of this series, infinitely more than we might ask or think Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for how much you have loved us and for the amazing grace that you have given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you that there is infinitely more available to us of the work of your spirit within us, within our community, and within our nation. And so I'm asking you in the next few minutes this morning that, Lord, you will speak to us clearly from your word and help us to grasp hold of this promise of infinite abundance in you and what you can do through us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. 
Well, I love what Paul is saying here in the scriptures when he says, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees in prayer. You know, kneeling is not something that we do in our culture. We're not a very kneeling culture at all. We don't live in a kneeling culture. And so falling to my knees to the Lord is an act of submission. That's what falling to my knees is. It's an act of submission. I, I want you to get that. Because we, we live in a culture where we just don't kneel. I mean, in the Jewish culture, people didn't kneel in prayer unless they were kneeling in complete dependence. There was an emergency. There was a crisis. They needed God to do something, and so they would kneel in his presence. But even today, Jewish people still primarily stand when they pray. If you've been to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, you'll see folks standing at the Wailing Wall, Jewish people standing there, and they're praying. Many of them are rocking back and forth as they're praying, and they're sliding their prayer request into the cracks of the wall of the Wailing Wall there. But when we kneel, we're surrendering ourselves. Now, people in other cultures, they begin to take that and said, you, would, you know, you knelt before a king, uh, you knelt before a bishop, you knelt before, you know, your master. If you were a slave, you knelt before, if you were a peasant, you knelt before the person that you worked for. Kneeling became a way of showing submission. But in America, thank God, you know, we don't do that. We're not in the process. We don't kneel to our president. We don't kneel to, you know, the, the pastor of the church. We don't kneel to the mayor or to the governor. We show honor where honor is due, but this is not a kneeling culture. There's only one thing I could think of in America where we kneel as a custom, and that's when a man asks a woman to become his wife. What does he do? He drops down on his knees, and he presents a ring, and he asks her to marry him. And how long does he stay on his knees? If he's got any brains at all, he stays there for the rest of his life. He stays in that position of just kneeling before his wife and says, you know, I'm submitting myself to you. I love you. Thank you. So we live in a culture where we don't kneel. But one of the important things is to remember is when you're kneeling, what you're really saying is you're not in control. You're not in control. And that's very important because we live in a world of technology where we have deceived ourselves into thinking we're in control. We've deceived ourselves into thinking that through our iPhones or through our, our smartphones, our computers, our technology, we can control our lives. We make our life plans. We make our goals. We set our dreams. And somehow or another, if we put it all on paper, then it comes into existence and we're in control of our lives. But you know, we don't control the weather. We don't control. In Michigan, we have a saying here, if you don't like the weather, just stick around. It'll change soon enough, you know. We don't control when we wake up. We set alarm clocks or we wait till we just naturally wake up. We don't control when there's going to be an earthquake. Is an earthquake shook Michigan this week. We don't control the tidal waves. When you think about it, friends, we don't control when a virus is going to break out like a COVID virus and we're scrambling trying to find a cure and a way to cope with this. We have deceived ourselves and technology deceives us and our graduate degrees deceive us into somehow or another thinking we're the smartest generation that we've ever lived. We have more technology. We have more education. We can control things like never before. I was visiting the Henry Ford one time, actually the Henry Ford home there in, Deer, in Dearborn, and I remember our guide telling us that Henry controlled the Rouge River and how he changed the course of it to flow through his property and power a generator. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, you may cut a ditch, but that doesn't mean you control the powers of nature. And that's what we're looking at is we're not really in control. And so Paul says, that one of the healthiest, one of the most intelligent decisions, physically healthy, one of the most intelligent mental decisions, one of the most wise spiritual decisions you can make, Paul says is when I think of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father. You see, submission is an act of faith. When I kneel, what I'm saying is I trust God because when I kneel, I'm out of control. That's the reason, men, if you remember a saying that was really popular back in the 90s. I saw it on a lot of bumper stickers. I saw it on a lot of church signs. Men, get on your knees and fight like a man. Because we know on our knees we're not in control. We know we need to be on our feet, quick on our feet. We need to be like Muhammad Ali and be able to dance like a butterfly and sting like a bee. But you can't do that on your knees. What you do when you're on your knees is you're kneeling to God and you're casting all of your cares upon Him. 
There was a Roman centurion that was a man of war, a man of skill, a man of, a man of, 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 of violence, a man who knew how to handle himself in battle and knew how to handle rough soldiers and burly soldiers that were far away from home and had little respect for the Jewish people or any of the lands that they occupied. They just wanted to live and get back home to their wives and to their children. But he knew how to lead and to control those men. But when he faced a situation that he could not control, this Roman centurion, a pagan, not a worshiper of Yahweh, but a pagan came to Jesus and he asked Jesus in faith to heal his servant. And friends, Jesus looked at this Roman centurion and he said to the Jewish people around him, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. This man did the only sane thing he knew to do. He could not cure this trusted servant, and so he came to Christ. And I want you to know, beloved, this morning, when I kneel and submit to God, it brings healing, it brings restoration, it brings sanity, and it brings clarity to my life. When I kneel before the Lord, I can ask Him to touch and to heal and to heal my family it brings physical restoration. When I kneel before the Lord, somehow or another, it brings sanity back to my mind. For the scriptures declare of Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful human king there was at the time, that built one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the city of Babylon, around which you could race seven chariots side by side, the famous hanging gardens of Babylon. When he and his ego and his pride said, I have built this, he literally became insane because of his ego. And yet when he humbled himself before the Lord, God cured him of his insanity. And Nebuchadnezzar writes, when I praise the Lord, he restored my sanity to me. He gives me clarity about the issues of life. I have come to know I can't control how this vote is going to turn out. And there are millions, if not billions of dollars being spent right now to influence how you and I are going to cast our votes. And Democrats and Republicans are sweating bullets right now because they're worried about how you're going to vote. Nobody predicted how the last election was going to turn out. Remember that, how shocked and surprised everybody was? I have learned you can't control a vote. You can't control what articles are written in the paper. You can't control the issues that people care about. You can only try to influence them. I can't control, and neither can you control, what people say about me or what people think about me. But what I have come to terms with in life is I can be energized by this because I know the one that is in control, and his name is Jesus Christ. And when I know that Jesus is in control, I don't have to worry about what the press says, the vote is. I don't have to worry about what people say or think about me. What I have learned in over 40 years of being a pastor is that the work of God, now listen, this is important, the work of God is not decided in smoke-filled back rooms. It's not decided by politicians. It's not decided by educators. It's not decided by bishops and priests. The work of God has been established from the beginning. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. This thing is going to wrap up just like he said it would. And that is victory in Christ. That is victory in the church. God has called us to be more than overcomers. Can we give him a hand of praise for that today? That is so exciting to me. And so Jesus said about this man who submitted to him, he turned to the others and he said, I tell you, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. So what I want you to see is what Paul is doing is what I want to do. Because when I kneel before the Lord, it keeps me focused in the right direction. When I kneel before the Lord, I'm asking myself this question, God, how can I be the man you've called me to be? How can I be the father? How can I be the grandfather? How can I be the husband? How can I be the neighbor? How can I be the pastor? How can I be the man that you have called me to be? Because there are times, Lord, in the crisis and the trials of life, worry will spiral out of control. Fear will spiral out of control. My mind will go in another direction. And as I kneel before the Lord and submit to him, I remember that it is God that will empower me, according to what we're reading today, to be what he wants me to be. Let me give you a good example of that. Submission to God's order will give us whole relationships. Submission to God's order will give us whole relationships. This is one of those 
But what about questions that people ask me sometimes? What about that abusive husband? Or, or what about my dad? He's not a Christian. What about this? God says if we will trust his word and submit to him, then God will cause things to go well for us. Now, we've answered those what-if questions here. You know, if you're in an abusive marriage, you know, there's, we've preached on that. We've taught on that. If you need help, you call us because God doesn't want you to be beaten or abused. That is not what those verses of Scripture mean. If you have an abusive parent, God doesn't want you to be abused by that parent. We want to help you with that. But most of the time, for most people, that's not what the overwhelming majority. But we put the things we don't understand that keep us from obeying God. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of our Father, of our spirits, and live forever? Let me read you something from The Lion and the Honeycomb by Leo Tolstoy. This is good. Women who fulfill their vocation hold power even over powerful men. Such women mold public opinion and prepare future generations. And so it is that they who hold the power to save people from all our present and impending evils. Yes, women, mothers in your hands, more than any of those and anyone else, lies the salvation of the world. Now, before you start thinking, especially if you're listening online and you don't really know me or you don't know our church, you start thinking, oh, they just want to keep wives pregnant and at home barefooted and having babies. That's not what this is about. Tolstoy wrote um, to a nation and wrote to a group of people who had enjoyed the, the preeminent rule of a great woman by the name of Catherine the Great. They knew that women could lead. They knew that women could use power. And we at Woodland have celebrated the leadership gifts that God gives to women. But somehow or another in our culture, we have demeaned the power and the influence of a godly wife and a godly mom. And what he is saying here is, moms, ladies, you have no clue of the power that you wield as a woman of God as you walk in the submitted order that God calls you to in a marriage. I love that illustration from my big fat Greek wedding where the mother is talking to the daughter about the husband being the head of the home. And she looks at her daughter and says, well, he may be the head, but I am the neck that, I'm the neck that turns the head. You see, friends, there is great power in influence. There is great power. Who has your ear? And whoever has the ear of the leader, that is the person that exerts the most influence. Number two, falling to my knees in prayer allows the power of God to flow through me. When I fall on my knees in prayer, I'm allowing God's power to flow through me. Now, remember, this is the context we're thinking. When I fall on my knees in prayer, I think of all of this. What is he thinking of? He's thinking of what God has done for us in Christ. God gives us this wonderful opportunity to come to know him and to be transferred from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light of his dear son. God gives us this wonderful opportunity where when we're born again, we're transferred out of the kingdom of sin and defeat and destruction, and he brings us into the kingdom of light or the kingdom of heaven. And we know this, that when we come into the kingdom, we know whatever we're going through, this too shall pass. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through the coronavirus. You're going to get through your health issues. If someone dies in our family, we know we're going to see them again if they're a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. We know that we're going to be with Rocky one day. And we know that God is not the God of the dead, but God is the God of the living. These are the very words of Jesus. To be absent from the body, the Apostle Paul said, is to be present with the Lord. If you've gone through a tragic divorce, you know you're going to get through this. If you've gone through the death of a child, you know you're going to get through this. You're going to get past the pandemic. We're going to get through this world almost every single week of my life. And I could say without exaggeration, almost daily, I am walking with somebody in pain. I'm walking with somebody in despair. I'm walking with somebody in tragedy, praying with them and trying to help them and counsel with them. It's what I live with day in and day out. And the one hope that I hold out to them constantly is this, is that Christ lives in you. He is the hope of glory. And every single time, I have learned God is in control. After this service today, I'll be meeting someone to pray with them who's just gone through a horrible tragedy this week. And we're just simply going to agree together and look at God's word. But friends, the kingdom of heaven is not in trouble because the world is in trouble because of a coronavirus pandemic. For the Bible says in the scriptures, 
Excuse me just a second while I send that spider to Jesus. From his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with his inner strength through his spirit. I was walking through my sub the other night, and I do a prayer walk in my neighborhood, and I just pray over houses and for people. And as I was walking past this one house, the garage door was open, and I am not exaggerating. The entire wall was filled with boxes and cases of toilet paper. And I stopped for just a moment, and I said, Lord, I pray they never need to use all of that toilet paper right there. And yet, if the worst comes to worst, even that's not going to be enough. You see, in the kingdom of the world, we're always trying to hoard. In the kingdom of the world, we're always afraid there's not going to be enough because resources are limited. Ever since I was a child, people have said, this is limited, that is limited, and yet somehow or another, we always seem to find a way. God seems to make a way. I want you to know that what God is doing in and through you comes from his unlimited resources. Can you say amen to that? And so God is not biting his fingernails today, and you don't need to be biting your fingernails, for God gives us the power to be generous. Remember, we're in the kingdom right now, and in the kingdom, God gives us power. Now, God can only trust his power to people with pure hearts. Sometimes people will say to me, they'll say, Pastor, why aren't we seeing revival like we used to see? Why don't we see signs and wonders like we used to see? Why don't we see this? They, they saw this in the Pilgrim's Day. They saw this in the Puritan's Day. They saw this in the Great Awakening. Or they saw this at the turn of the century. And my answer is always the same. It's two things. Number one, revival is sovereign. We don't make revival happen. And number two, what we need to remember is that God can only trust his power to people with pure hearts. If you don't have a pure heart, power can kill you. If you don't have a pure heart, power can destroy you. And one of the things that God gives us is the power to be generous. Now, remember, we're in the kingdom. We give because we trust the generosity of God. How many of you remember what the Bible says about a cheerful giver? God loves a cheerful giver. Say that with me. God loves a cheerful giver. You see, when we're giving, we're letting go. We're trusting God that we're not going to be poorer for giving. For the scripture says it's more blessed to give than to receive. You say, well, pastor, what do I have to give? You have time, which is the breadth and the breadth of your life. It's the breadth and the breadth of your life. You have time. You have just this one life to give to God before eternity. Number two, you have your talents, you have your capabilities and your abilities that God has given to you. Number three, you have your treasures that God has given to you. That's your finances, your money that God is entrusted with. And God's heart is to bless you and not to curse you. And here's where the key comes in. When we want the power of God to flow through us, we have to do what God calls us to do even when we don't understand it. As honest as I can be, it's only when I'm on my knees that I experience the power of God flowing completely through me. Corey, would you bring that up and help me out just a second? A few months ago, I preached a message with an illustration that I borrowed from a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine in Atlanta. And he used the illustration of a traffic light. You remember we're meeting online. We were coming to the place of could we meet outdoors like we're meeting right now because this is a safe way to meet, socially distanced from each other. We've learned now we can safely social distance by family units, but still being indoors is not as safe as this. So this is why we're still meeting outdoors. And in our first service, it was just wonderful having Tibber Ridge and the kids had hula hoops to socially distance. But remember I told you there were basically three groups, and I'll just take the poster and hold it so you can see it a little more clearly. We're three groups, and I really love this illustration. The red light is the people who are not ready to come back and be in an indoor service yet. We understand that. No criticism, no judgment. We just understand that. The yellow light is for people, you know, they're ready to gather like this, or they're ready to gather socially distanced, but at that time, just not yet. I mean, we, we're ready to start living life again, but maybe give us just a little bit longer. And then it never mattered to some folks, some folks in our congregation, they said, let's don't stop meeting. Let's just, take, let's just keep gathering together. And you got to love the excitement and the thrill about the green light people. But I love all of these folks. I love every single one of them. So there was no judgment here, but we knew we had to keep doing church. And um, if somebody could come just take this off so it won't blow off during the message for me. Corey, can you grab this again, buddy? Um, 
so that we didn't want people to feel intimidated or to feel bad or anything like that. I'm going to give you this too. We didn't want people to feel bad or intimidated, but we knew we couldn't stop doing church. And so we went to doing church online. And it was glitchy at first. Uh, God sent us Wayne Kittle and his family a few months ago. And Wayne is just skilled at has helped us get so far and is going to help us with our next phase as we're, as we're moving ahead. But we've been able to be outdoors, and it's just been amazing what we've been able to do outdoors. It's been amazing to have service. As a matter of fact, there was a young family that was here. We had some families visiting with us today that had never been to Woodland before, and they brought their children today. And one of them told me after the service, he says, I love this. I loved being outdoors. I loved singing outdoors. I love my kids being out there under the, the big circus kind of tent that you've got out there. He said, I just loved it. It was great. But we're hurtling towards the fall. We don't live in Arizona. <laughs> we don't live in Florida, which means we're going to have to go back inside and go back online. And so we're trying to prepare for that and get everybody ready. So what we're going to be doing is we're upping, you know, the coronavirus and the first service, we got such affirmation on this. People saying, we're so glad you're doing that. Other people saying, you know, this is how we found you by watching you online and watching you on Facebook. So we're going to be making some severe expenditures to to be able, we're adding more cameras, we're adding uh, switchers. I don't understand all the equipment that, that we're adding, but what we're going to be able to do is we're going to be able to have services in the sanctuary. We're going to be able to have the service in the old sanctuary as well so we can socially distance people. We're going to be able to, 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 to broadcast into our children's area. We're going to be able to broadcast into our nurseries, but we're able, going to be able to be on YouTube and Facebook and we're going to be able to watch live stream right on our Woodland page where people can come to Woodland Church and take advantage of all the resources that we add there. And it's going to cost us about $12,000. And I'm going to ask you to help us, you know, just whatever you can. I won't be making a big deal of this, but I'm going to ask you this Sunday and next Sunday, if you would just help us get there. Some of you could do a lot. Maybe some of you could do a little. But remember, every single $25 that is given, it helps us get to where we're going. And the big thing is, now we have people watching us from across the country. They're worshiping with us. We have folks that are supporting us from other states and other places. We have missionaries that I've been hearing from. They're watching our services online. You know, friends, if I can say something, but I was trying to make the point, I never dreamed that COVID crisis would open up as many doors for us as it has opened up. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? In the midst of something horrible, God has used it to open up a lot of doors. So I want to ask you, I want to say thank you for being a faithful tither. The scripture says, you're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try me and put me to the test. Friends, I can't explain how it works. You shouldn't be able to give and be richer. But it's like a farmer planting seed. The more you give to God, the more he pours back into your life. So I'm just going to simply ask you to trust him. Go beyond your tithe. Because you've been doing that, we have been able to do more for missions. We helped launch one more missionary this week who's being launched to a, church, to a country where there's no evangelical congregation at all in the entire nation. Can you believe that? And Woodland Church is a part of that. And we've been able to do that in the corona pandemic because of your faithfulness and giving. But God, when you're on your knees, he gives you the power to bless your children. There's nothing more powerful that you can do than to take time to kneel and to pray for your children. And I don't mean to be cruel, and I want you to look at me right in the eyes, and I want you to say this to yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. I want you to say, my pastor loves me. Just say that to yourself right now. Say that online. I love you. I really do. But if you're not kneeling and praying for your children daily, you're not loving your children and blessing them in the way you can. Because there's something about lifting your children, even if they're adult children. I pray for my kids daily. 
I'm like Job. Lord, lest they sin. Lord, be merciful to them. Convict them. Draw my, draw my adult sons. Draw my adult daughter-in-laws. Draw my adult daughter, Lord. Draw them closer to you. Lord, work in their life because I don't want to get to heaven and not see my children and my grandchildren. I pray over the three greatest grandsons in the whole wide world. I've got another thunder, lightning, and tornado in my life now. And I pray over those three grandsons of mine every single day. God bless them. You see, you have the power to bless your children. Jesus, blessed, Jesus was blessed by his father. He says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Your kids need to hear that you love them. Your kids need to hear that you care for them. Your kids need to hear you calling their name out to them in prayer. Your adult children need to know you're praying for them. Sometimes my daddy, and I miss him so much, he'd call me up and he'd say, Fella, I've been praying for you today. And I said, Daddy, you don't know how much that means to me. Because there's something about praying for your children, you bless them. And then God gives us the power to provide a loving touch to other people. And this culture that we're living in right now, we can't touch. My elbow is sore from all the chicken wings I got this morning. I mean, we had people left and right. They were coming up, and they're throwing that elbow up. And I'm having to learn how to be a little bit defensive about that, you know. And a uh, few people, I think, were just, what do you call it, in basketball when they throw their elbow into you? You know, they're just happy and excited. We can't touch people like we used to. A lady in our congregation said to me this week, she said, Pastor, and she's crying. She says, I miss being touched. I miss being touched. I haven't been able to touch my children. I haven't been able to hug my grandchildren. She said, Pastor, I haven't been able to hug you or anybody at church. She said, I never dreamed how much I would miss being touched by another human being. And friends, there's power in our touch. So we need to be thinking and praying for ways that we can bless others. Last night, we have a family in our neighborhood that's having a difficult time right, right now. So Amy went into the kitchen last night, and she baked and decorated cupcakes, and she and Becky walked them down and shared them with them, and it brought a little bit of joy into their life. But positive ways that we can think and touch others. Look at this passage of Scripture. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. And you say, Pastor, what is a weak reed or a flickering candle? The old King James Version, you remember it says a bruised reed. A, 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 a bruised reed is a person that has been damaged in life. A bruised reed is someone that has been hurt. Maybe someone that has gone through a, a, a difficult time, like a death or a divorce, the loss of a child. Something has happened that has bruised that Maybe they've been fired, or maybe someone has said something to them. This week, somebody asked me, he said, why do you think students remember the unkind things said about them? I said, because it bruises their heart. It bruises their life. I said, and you can say a hundred different things to a student to affirm them, but if you callously, harshly say something to a student, you bruise that student. You see, God says he will touch and heal he will not bruise your life. He will heal your life. What's the flickering candle? A flickering candle is somebody that's giving up hope. A flickering candle is that person that says, I can't make it anymore. Maybe they're giving up on God and their faith. But then God also gives us the power to sing. There's something about singing and praising God. There's something about bringing our high-sounding praises to God. Brothers and sisters, it brings down walls. It defeats the enemy. When Jehoshaphat faced an enemy that he could not defeat. He sent the people of God out singing and God routed the enemy. So I would challenge you, sing unto the Lord. You say, Pastor, do you sing praise to the Lord all the time? All the time. If you don't believe me, ask my wife, ask my children, ask my neighbors, ask this staff. Don't ask them if I sing well. Just ask them if I sing. Because when I sing to the Lord, I find inspiration, I find encouragement, and I find success. And then finally this morning, when I fall to my knees in prayer, it breaks the old mold. You say, Pastor, what do you mean there? Well, a few moments ago, I referred to life planning. I referred to all of the things that we want to do. And maybe some of you, you've given up on a life plan. You've written them, and you never successfully keep them. You know how it is. How many of you made New Year's resolutions this year? Could I see your hands? 
None of you made a New Year's resolution? How many of you quit making New Year's resolutions because you couldn't keep them? Can I see your hand? That's what I thought. <laughs> you see, you're a flickering candle. <laughs> you're giving up. Well, let me tell you how God makes you. Remember I said I asked myself, God, how can I be the man? How can I be the father? How can I be the husband, the grandfather, the pastor, the neighbor? You see, God breaks the old mold. It's not willpower. It's not your life. There's nothing wrong with those things. I have all of those things. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's not willpower that gets you through. It's what Christ does in you. You see, Oswald Chambers said this, and I totally agree. I, when I read this some time ago, I just like, wow. Listen, if you're going to be used by God, he will take you through a multitude of experiences that are not meant for you at all. They are meant to make you useful in his hands. You see, some of the things you went through, they're not about you at all. What we're going through during this COVID virus, it's not about us. It's about how God is preparing to use us. It's about what God is going to do through us. It's never about me. It's all about the glory of God. Remember, God can trust his glory to people with pure hearts. You say, how does God do that? Well, the Bible uses an interesting wordplay here twice in the book of Ephesians. I want you to look with me now at Ephesians 3.17. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Let's read that together. Christ will make his home in your hearts and you trust, you trust in him. You see, there are two Greek words that are used in Ephesians for dwelling. The word is actually dwelling. In Ephesians 2, Paul tells us that we are temporary residents upon this earth. We're passing through. We're aliens. In this passage... He uses a word that talks about permanent dwelling. So if you're going to go on a vacation and you get a cabin in the North Georgia mountains, if you get a cabin where God dwells there in the beautiful mountains of North Georgia and you have barbecue the way God meant for barbecue to be enjoyed, right there, Brunswick stew, baked beans and coleslaw, and you're there in that beautiful cabin, you're thinking, this is my dwelling for two weeks. This is my dwelling for one week. This is your vacation spot. This is your vacation retreat. God says, you and I, this world is our temporary dwelling. But the word used here, for Christ makes his home in our hearts, friends, that is for God makes his permanent dwelling inside of us. It's your permanent address. My permanent address is here in Michigan. My temporary address is wherever I'm going on vacation. God's permanent home is inside of our hearts. That's how God changes us. Because when God dwells in my heart, God begins to change my heart, my thoughts, my habits, my attitudes. He changes my desires. He convicts me of sin. He gives me ideas that I would have never had on my own. Friends, this is real. We're not just saying this. It's the doctrine of the indwelling Christ. Christ lives in us, the hope of glory. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning as well? So, God settles down into our hearts. Let me illustrate this for you. When we first moved to Michigan, I wouldn't let Becky, I've told you this story before, but for two years I wouldn't let Becky pack our boxes, packing boxes away. Matter of fact, there was a lot of things we wouldn't even unpack. I didn't unpack a lot of my office stuff. Dr. Addison told me, he said, son, if you don't like it, come back. And I remember I told the board once we decided what we were going to do, I said, let's try this. And if for two years you don't like the direction I'm going, just tell me and I'll go home. No problem. No sweat. Two years. I can remember before I discovered Metro Parks, I'd walk around the park at Wyandotte, right across from where you live. And I'd walk around that park and I was praying. I said, Lord, I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know what's going to happen. The week before we took the vote on the vision that we have pursued, I was preaching for another district council. And in that service on the last night where I was, was speaking and preaching, I said, you know, I'm going to be flying back and we're voting on a vision. And I said, if the church decides that's the way they want to go, I'll be staying. If the church decides that's not the way they want to go, you know, 
I'll probably be there just another couple of years. So y'all join with me and pray. I said, because, you know, I want to help them transition the way they want to go. And, of course, we stayed. But for two years, we looked at this as our temporary dwelling. And then once we bought into the vision, we were able to settle down together. Friends, look at me. God never took a vote on whether he loved you. God never took a vote on his vision for you. God never took a vote on his care for you. Before you were a twinkle in your mother and daddy's eyes, before the foundations of the world were even formed, God decided to send Jesus Christ into this world. When human beings sinned, the kingdom of God didn't fall apart. God has been, God is, and God will always be in total and complete control. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? That's why he makes his home in our hearts. So, let's look at this verse again. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Would you take this little card out of your bulletin? I want you to memorize this verse this week. Don't worry about losing it. If you lose it, we're going to have some more next week. But I want you to memorize this verse. I want you to pray with faith and passion on this verse. I'd like you to go home today, and I'd just like you to write down the kind of person that you want to be. Not the kind of person you are, but write down the kind of person you want to be. A lot of times, self-help books will say, write down who you are. You're positive. You're loving. You're good. You're I don't want you to do that. I want you to go down, and I want you to say, what kind of man, what kind of woman do I want to be? What kind of husband do I want to be? What kind of dad do I want to be? What kind of granddad do I want to be? What kind of neighbor? What kind, whatever your vocation is. Write this down. The Bible says, write the answer plainly on tablets so a runner can carry the correct message to others. The vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Listen, that's talking about the will of God upon this earth. But the will of God in your life, look at me, don't miss this. God has a plan for your life. And you need to decide today, do I want his plan or do I want my plan? So ask yourself, Father, what kind of man do you want me to be? What kind of husband do you want me to be? What kind of neighbor, what does God say about that? And then begin to write it down. And don't worry about whether you have the willpower to do it. I'm just being honest with you. I don't have the willpower to do it. I don't have the willpower to love my enemies. I don't have the willpower to turn the other cheek. But Christ decided long ago to make his permanent home in you and in me. And God is working daily to change us into his image. That's the power of God doing infinitely more than you could ever think or imagine or dream. Get it? God is a God that will heal the lame. God is a God that will heal the lame emotionally. God is a God that will heal the blind, but will also heal the blind spiritually, relationally. God is the God that will give you a song in the midnight hour that will cause the powers of hell to tremble. Because he makes his home in you permanently. So I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me this morning. And I want to pray for you before we go home. You see, the question you have to ask yourself then is, is God able to do this? Is God able to make you into the kind of man he wants you to be? Is God able to make you into the kind of woman he wants you to be? And the answer to that question is yes, yes, yes. Is God able to make you in the kind of dad he wants you to be? And the answer to that question is yes. You see, it's not about how disciplined I am. It's about how God is able. I was talking to my son this week. We were talking about several things. And, and I told him, 
I said, when I was as young as I can remember going back to, there are two songs that I can remember that always come back to me whenever I'm facing a difficult crisis. And I said, one, he's got the whole world in his hands. And we've got a little grandson that you've been helping me pray for. I said, one of those verses was, he's got the little bitty babies in his hand. And every single day, I remind myself of that. But there was another song we sang at the little church I grew up in in Georgia. And it just simply said, he's able, he's able. I know my God is able to carry me through. He heals the brokenhearted. He sets the captives free. I know he's able. So when you write down the person that God wants you to be, then ask yourself, is God able to do this? See, that's the question. It's not whether I'm able to do it. It's whether God's able to do it. Because if it depends on me, honey, we're in trouble. But if it depends upon God, everything is possible. Get it? Get it? Good. So friend, I want you to know that too. God is able. Maybe you're thinking, I can't give my life to Jesus. I'm not able to live a Christian life. Well, welcome to the club. I thought the same thing. As a matter of fact, for a period of time before I knew better, I wouldn't tell anybody that I'd given my life to Jesus. I don't even believe I've ever told this congregation that. I went for a long time. I wouldn't tell people. Then all of a sudden, people begin to say, what's different? I guess I should be real honest. I told one person, my sister. I, I just wouldn't tell. And I told her, don't tell anybody. Because I was afraid I wouldn't be able. And now, here I am all these decades later. And I can tell you, I'm still not able. But God is able to heal the brokenhearted to set the captive free and to give you a brand new life of forgiveness and a fresh start in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you with everyone here at the church, would you join me in prayer right now? I'm going to ask you if you've never done this, commit your life to Jesus Christ. You may not even understand all that you're doing, but remember that's what we started at the first of this message. You may not understand it all, but trust God. He loves you. Say, Father, thank you that from the beginning you loved me and you sent Christ to die for my sins. I ask you to forgive me and as much as I know how, I receive you into my life and I ask you, Jesus, to make me a brand new person and make your permanent dwelling in me. I know that one day I'm going to die. This is a temporary dwelling upon this earth. I want my permanent home to be in Christ. And make me the man or the woman you want me to be. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. I love you. Let me pray a prayer of blessing over you. And then Pastor Corey has something he wants to come and share with you that we'd like to give to you. And all you have to do is just let us know. Father, in the name of Jesus, to him who is infinitely able to do more than we could ever ask, think, or dream, to him who makes his permanent dwelling inside of us, would you bless this congregation? Would you make us successful in everything we do? And would you give us opportunities to share our faith in Christ? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you.